when it comes to ensuring your company has top-notch security practices. Things can get complicated fast. With Vanta, you can automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more. Vanta's market-leading trust management platform can help you unify security program management with a built-in risk register and reporting and streamline security reviews with AI-powered security questionnaires. Over 7,000 fast-growing companies like Atlassian, Flow Health, and Quora use Vanta to manage risk and prove security in real time. You can watch Vanta's on-demand video at vanta.com slash decoder to learn more. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash decoder. Support for this podcast comes from another podcast. The world's most valuable resource, it's actually data. Our data, based on our behaviors, is frequently being gathered, tracked, stored, and sold. So what does this mean for us? Join host Rafi Krikorian for season two of Technically Optimistic, where he'll take you on a deep dive into how our data is being used and what we can do about it. From social media feeds to foundational human rights, Krikorian leads us into territories both familiar and unexpected with openness and genuine curiosity. New episodes of Technically Optimistic drop every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Decoder. I'm Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge, and Decoder is my show about big ideas and other problems. This week, we're doing something a little different. We're going to talk about Apple, but we're not going to talk about Apple's products or its various regulatory challenges. Instead, we're going to talk about Apple's culture, and specifically how some employees are trying to change that culture. Now, there's a lot going on with Apple recently. We just did a whole episode about the controversial child protection photo scanning features, which have now been delayed. There's a law in South Korea that might force the company to change how the App Store works. The company just settled a Japanese case about the App Store, as well as a class action lawsuit in this country. The verdict in the Epic trial will arrive and almost certainly get appealed soon. There are renewed questions about Apple's relationship to the Chinese government. And of course, it's September, the month when new iPhones usually come out. But in the background, there's been another very important series of stories. Verge senior reporter Zoe Schiffer has spent the past few months publishing story after story about unhappy Apple employees who are starting to talk to the press, specifically Zoe, more and more about what working at Apple is like and how they'd like it to change. If you've been following Apple or tech for a while, you know this is shocking. Apple is famous for its secrecy, and it doesn't usually leak. But in recent months, Zoe has reported on employees pushing back on Apple's return to office plans, on pay equity and harassment in the workplace, on the use of personal devices at work, and more. Apple employees are demanding more transparency and input than ever, and they're doing it in public in a way that challenges Apple's secretive, top-down corporate culture. A culture which, to be fair, has produced some of the most important tech products in history and has contributed to Apple's status as the most valuable company in the world. But the pushback is real. And it all starts with the introduction of one piece of software to Apple's workplace, Slack. Slack is a simple app. It lets you chat with your coworkers in public and private channels and in direct messages. For many of us in the pandemic, Slack and similar tools like Microsoft Teams have become the office, a place where everyone who works at a company can talk, send files, make calls, and gossip. The great move to remote work might not have happened without tools like Slack. But Slack also does something else. It lets anyone at a company find and talk to anyone else. For a company like Apple, which is historically pretty siloed, that's a big change. Combine that change with the pressure Apple puts on itself to be socially responsible, and suddenly there are lots of employees asking questions about how Apple works, how it should work, and whether the company is meeting its own lofty ideals. It's a lot. Now, we're obviously going to spend a lot of time talking about Slack in this episode, and I just want to offer one note. We use Slack at The Verge and Vox Media, and we spend a lot of time thinking about it. We're a pretty small team we still have to be thoughtful about how we use Slack to make sure it's useful and not a distraction. To use any tool, you have to be thoughtful about it. But don't just take it from me. Last year, I interviewed Slack CEO Stuart Butterfield, and I asked him how he manages Slack for his team. Here's what he said. I think it's a really interesting thought for, for everyone. 
how much does your company invest in internal communication and in training people to be more effective communicators? Probably zero. And then people spend 100% of their time doing it, which is totally nuts. There's a lot to think about in this one. Keep that in mind. Okay, Zoe Schiffer, here we go. Zoe Schiffer, you are a senior reporter here at The Verge. Welcome to Decoder. Thank you so much for having me. This is, it's weird because we work together, and I talk to you like every day. But welcome to this show. Uh, it's gonna be this is gonna be fun. There's a lot to talk about. You have done a lot of reporting on Apple over the past month. Apple had a very complicated August. I want to unpack all of the things that happened for Apple in August and what happens next. But the arc of this story starts well before that. So. Apple employees are talking more than ever. They are talking about their problems in the workplace more than ever. How did all that begin? The story that we all have been focused on this summer really started in May when Apple made a hire on the ads team named Antonio Garcia Martinez. And he had worked at Facebook as a product manager, and he left Facebook and written a book called Chaos Monkeys. This book had some descriptions of women, which people found pretty offensive. He said it was satire. People read them and thought, regardless of the context, it's not a good way to talk about women. He talked about former colleagues, etc. Women at Apple started talking about it, specifically in this Slack channel called Women in Software Engineering, and they decide to write a letter. They basically ask Apple to investigate the hire. They say, did you read the book and decide it doesn't matter, or did you just not read the book? Like, we want an answer. The letter wasn't supposed to become public, This is kind of a key difference between Apple and Google at this point. Apple really organizes internally, as they always have. But a few people start talking about it on Twitter, saying that they're kind of disappointed that Apple made this hire. And if people want to sign the letter, they can DM me and I'll send you the Slack link. Antonio is like a character. He's a known character. He has a (laughs) high profile. We know him. Our colleagues know him. Like, he wrote a book and went on a press tour. Yes. And so th- this book is not like a secret at any point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's why we started paying attention to it. Because one key thing at this point is that none of the Apple employees who are talking about it have very large followings. It's like random people who are like, I'm disappointed that my office hired this man. We're going to write a little letter about it. If you want to sign it, DM me. And so reporters like me start looking for the letter because we recognize his name and we're kind of curious what it said. And the fact that Apple employees are writing a letter at all is significant. We get the letter, we publish it. Within a few hours, he's fired. Yeah, which, (laughs) to be clear, is unlike anything we've seen from Apple in the past, right? Apple usually is very secretive, very slow, and they very quickly arrived at this decision. Antonio then did did a lot of press about being fired from Apple, One thing that I I never really understood about this whole sequence of events, how much of it was focused on the fact that Apple was hiring a Facebook ads guy to come run ads at Apple? Because there's a big culture clash between those two companies, specifically around advertising. And I could never really unpack whether it was, why are you hiring this person who wrote this book we didn't like with these descriptions of women, which are very problematic. Also, you're hiring a Facebook executive to come do Facebook ad stuff at Apple. That always seemed a little tied up to me. I think the first layer was indisputably about the book. It really was. These descriptions of women are super offensive. Why did you hire this guy? Importantly, they weren't asking for him to be fired. They just wanted to know how did the hiring process work? We just want an answer. Because if you read the book and you decided it doesn't matter, we might be kind of upset about that. If you didn't, we're just curious like why that gap was there in the first place. A second layer, though, was that a bunch of people voiced... Why is this the hill you want to die on? Their allegations, and I won't say whether I think this is true, but he doesn't care about privacy in the same way that we do. He doesn't run ads in the same way that we do. Like, why is this person so important that you're willing to upset a ton of women at the company in order to have him come to Apple? So that's the first thing that happens. And I will say the role wasn't very high up in the org chart. I think at some point somebody asked him, it was either Kara Swisher or Casey Newton on like a Twitter space. <laughs> Did Eddie Q, the guy who runs services, fire you? And he's like, I don't even know that my hire got up to him. So he wasn't like at the top of the list. It was obviously, this is bad press. Who cares? 
find someone new. And that's, right. that part of it seemed very Apple, right? Like it's not, it's not worth it. We'll just find somebody new. But then exactly. it, other things kept happening. So what was the next thing that happened? One thing that happens in the interim that hasn't been made public yet is that Apple announces internally that they have had these Slack rules that they've been working on, and they're going to start enforcing them at some point soon. And basically, the rules say you can't create channels for things that aren't related to Apple's business or that aren't specifically about clubs or diversity groups at the company. It's going to become important later. I'm just going to put a (laughs) pin in that for now. The next thing that happened is that in early June, Tim Cook makes this big announcement internally that they're going to require employees to return to the office three days a week. So he rolls this out as a hybrid work model, and they're going to test it out. It's a pilot program. They're going to ask people to come in Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, I believe, and they can work from home twice a week, which is a huge change for Apple, as you know. Previously, working from home, it was okay in one-off instances, but largely people were required to come in all the time. A Slack group starts about this too. It's a channel that's called Remote Work Advocacy, and people immediately start pushing back against the return to office. They say, the world has changed. We've moved on. A lot of tech companies are pushing models where anyone who wants to work from home can all the time. We've had a really successful year working from home. We don't want to be forced to come back. That's September now, so I just want to put this in context. In early June, a lot of people thought the pandemic was over. Yes. It's hard to put your mind back in that headspace. But in early June, the vaccines are rolling out. We aren't quite in the drama of vaccine denial and all that stuff. But every company was like, okay, what's the future like? We're we're done with this crap. And so Apple is like, we value the office. We built this spaceship. We want people in it. And the employees are like, whoa, no, the world actually changed. Look at all of our competitors, Netflix, Google, whoever. They're not going to require this. We want it to be different. But the moment for Apple, just contextually, was people thought it was over and that there would be a new normal, and this was Apple's version of the new normal. Yeah, it's a little, like, cute to look back on how naive we all were. There was this, like, big deadline at the time because we really did think, oh, September, there's going to be a hard rule. You're going to have to be back in the office. So all of the organizing that was going on around remote work had a lot of urgency to it because a ton of people had moved out of state. They were like, I don't want to move back to either California, but specifically not Cupertino. Like, I'm not trying to move back there. I now live in a cheaper place. What, you know, whatever the reasons are, I don't want to disrupt my family again. And so all of this stuff became a real sticking point for employees who were feeling like they either had to choose to leave Apple completely or return to the office in just a few months. And to be clear, Apple has delayed its return to work, as has virtually every other company, ours included, because of the Delta variant and rising case rates everywhere. So that urgency, I just want to call it out, that urgency was very real. And it it led to a lot of, I would say, heated rhetoric. But that hasn't panned out into anything yet because nothing has changed. No, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about this later. But once they said that the return to office wasn't going to happen until January 2022, all of the advocacy around this basically went away. Apple employees are now focused on a whole bunch of other things that's not related to return to work. So it's not like this problem won't exist in a few months, (laughs) but Apple's just essentially punted it down the road and been like, we're not even going to touch this because there's no reason for us to fight about this right now. So you, you have these two moments where employees kind of learn that they can organize and get results from Apple in a way that maybe wasn't happening before, in a way that was maybe catalyzed by Slack. That kind of brings us right to a whole bunch of stuff happened in August. So let's start at the start. What was the next big thing that happened? The next thing that happens is that in early August, Apple places Ashley Jovic, a senior engineering program manager, on administrative leave. Now, Ashley's issues at Apple had kind of started in March. She had been saying that the office was unsafe. She realized that her specific site was on a a super fun site, a like geographic area that needs like special oversight because of historical waste contamination, a whole other story (laughs) that um, (laughs) we don't need to get into. But her raising those concerns brought up all of these other concerns that she had working in the hardware organization, which was very male dominant. She says she faced a lot of harassment and intimidation. And she starts airing all this stuff publicly. Apple investigates the harassment. They close the investigation and say they didn't find anything wrong. She starts tweeting about it more. She's now like extremely angry about it. 
She goes to Apple. They tell her she can essentially take advantage of their EAP therapy program. She says, that's not enough. I really want you to fix the problems in this org. I don't want to have to go work at a super fun site. I want to make sure that the like levels of toxicity in the office are low and safe for me to be there. Wait, which, which kind of toxicity? Sorry. <laughs> the, um, she's talking about the like hazardous waste stuff at this okay. point. She also wants them to fix all of the harassment stuff. She's just like, I'm not going to be in that environment unless these two things are in a better place by the time I have to return. As a last resort, she says, you can place me on administrative leave. And I think in her mind, this was kind of not going to actually happen. They were going to say, okay, we'll go fix the problems. We'll investigate your claims and we'll like really take time and see if there's an issue here. Instead, they were like, great, your leave starts immediately. Goodbye. We wrote an article about this and brought in kind of her public tweeting about all of the issues, linking it to the administrative leave. And this ends up blowing up a little bit on Twitter. So I just want to draw an important parallel here with the administrative leave. While this is all happening, in the background, Google is facing calamity over its ethical AI division. And importantly, there was a, a senior researcher there named Timnit Gibru, who also raised a bunch of concerns, said, well, if you can't fix them, put me on leave. And Google put her on leave. And she interpreted that as being kicked out. And then she was let go. Rightfully, Google has faced a firestorm of controversy over this. This is kind of exactly parallel to that situation, right? You, the threat is, well, I'll just stop working. Pay me to do nothing if you can't fix this. And Apple is like, cool. There's a misalignment between what you think the ultimatum is and what actually happens. And it seems a, a parallel to the Google case and what happened at Apple here. Yeah, no doubt. These two are very related. Timnit actually said that she was going to resign if Google didn't fix the problems that she had raised. And they said okay, we accept your resignation starting today. So a similar thing played out here. I think Ashley raised concerns. She said, okay, if you can't fix them, put me on leave. They said, great, your leave starts now. And she says they implied, we don't really want you on Slack. We don't really want you talking about the investigation publicly. So she really interpreted it as you're not going to be in the office anymore and we want you to essentially shut up. And this will come up over and over again. When you say you're not in the office anymore, what you mean is Slack. Yes, <laughs> because it's just like a fully remote company at this point. And that identity between Slack in the office and Slack as a place where you mingle with your coworkers and Slack where you suddenly have visibility to lots and lots of people that you would not see in a physical office seems to be like a huge undercurrent of the change here at Apple. Yeah, no doubt. So Apple rolled out Slack in 2019, a decision I have to imagine executives truly regret at this point. But <laughs> before that, a lot of teams had used iMessage to communicate. Essentially, each team had its own way of communicating. It was pretty clunky. It was pretty siloed. They roll out Slack to the entire company, and each org has its own Slack instance. But crucially, employees can create channels for the entire company. And so this becomes a really important way for employees to suddenly create channels to talk about things like, I don't want to go back to the office and find 7,000 other people who also don't want to return to the office. That's never happened before in Apple history. That seems remarkable to me. I mean, we have a much smaller company and we police Slack pretty intensely to make sure that it's useful and constructive. I can't even imagine doing it with 150,000 people or however many people Apple has. Does Apple change the rules around Slack? You mentioned the rules they had at the beginning. Have they changed them again as all this has gone on? I'm curious what you think about this, because this seems very like Apple-y to me, although I don't know the entire historical context of how they like roll out and enforce rules. But they say they started talking about the rules starting in like January, February. They announced them internally starting around May, and they started enforcing them in June. So by June, when we have the hybrid work model rolling out, we have remote work advocacy starting, a ton of channels that aren't related to Apple's business or specific employee clubs have already been created. And when Apple says it's going to start enforcing them, they're not enforcing them for those existing channels. In fact, they don't start enforcing them to our knowledge until very, very recently when employees try and create a cross-company channel to talk about pay equity, which is an issue we can get into later. It's the undercurrent of all of this. And I think mostly when we talk about Apple, mostly when anyone talks about Apple, we talk about their products, we talk about how big the business is, we talk about their TV shows. We do not talk about the messy collision of HR and IT 
inside of Apple. And this is very much the messy collision of HR and IT inside of Apple. Yeah. One thing that employees talk about all the time when I'm chatting with them for stories is that Apple's processes and kind of operations department are the envy of the entire world. But their internal processes are pretty broken. Like the company hasn't invested a ton in internal tools to communicate, to manage projects. And so a lot of these things work because the company is so top-down hierarchical. But that in and of itself is becoming an issue for employees at this point. And um, if you're curious, that internal group is called IS&T. And there are multiple stories over time about how how badly run IS&T. Like for 20 years, people have been complaining (laughs) about, about that group at Apple. Okay, so that is the first thing that happens in August. And then Apple employees start asking questions about pay equity. And in August 9th, a bunch of things happen. What happens then? This really goes back to 2016. In 2016, Tim Cook told shareholders that women and underrepresented minorities made a little less than their white male counterparts. Six months later, it comes out and says, we fixed the problem. Not a lot of detail there, but they identified the problem. They fixed it. Ever since then, they've been releasing statements about how they have pay equity in the United States. Employees, especially in 2021, have become skeptical. They're chatting amongst themselves, realizing that, hey, I, as a woman on this team, make a little bit less than the men I know around me. So it's all anecdotal, but suddenly a bunch of employees want to verify that the company actually has pay equity. They start putting out just employee-run surveys, asking, how much do you make? How do you identify in terms of race and gender? Where are you located, et cetera? Apple shuts the first one down in the spring, saying that the survey contains personally identifiable information. Employees start another one on um, the corporate box account. Apple shuts it down, saying you can't run it on the corporate box account. They start another one, and this time it's run completely externally. This engineer, Cher Scarlett, starts it, and 2,000 people participate. Really small number compared to the 147,000 that Apple has, but significant internally because this is all, you know, circulating through Slack channels kind of ad hoc. What they find when they start analyzing the survey data is that there's a 6% wage gap in the salaries of men and women who participated, which to be clear is not like an enormous wage gap. I think it's about what the wage gap is in San Francisco generally, but it matters because Apple has been saying this entire time, we have pay equity in the United States. This is not an issue for us. And suddenly employees are saying, well, if it's not an issue, why are you shutting down the surveys? And if it's not an issue, why are we seeing that there might be an issue in the survey data? So as we were talking about the, the pay equity surveys and what they had found in the 6% pay gap, it is true that it's a very small number of people and it was self-reported. I think what's important to note is that you know Apple publishes what they call transparency reports. You can go on the Apple website, you can look at the transparency report, and you can see that They've given themselves an A for for pay equity, and you click through it, and there's like a third-party consulting firm that grades all these companies. There is no data. You cannot verify this A grade except to click on a, a PDF that some consulting company has generated for Apple where it gets an A. You cannot verify it or validate it or see the data. And so, yeah, there's a lot of problems with a 2,000-person self-selected pay equity survey. I don't think the employees are ignoring those rather, but pretty upfront about the problems that the data might have. But they're also like, show us the data that, that proves the problem isn't here. And as far, as far as we know, there's no response from Apple yet. Deirdre O'Brien actually did release a response this morning. She released a video internally saying that she heard that, quote, a few employees had raised concerns. And if they wanted to speak one-on-one to their manager, their HRVP, they absolutely should. But she just wanted to reaffirm that Apple absolutely has pay equity and that they work with a third party. Essentially, don't worry about it. We we have it handled. As you mentioned, like this data <laughs> is public. I'm putting air quotes. Like Apple releases a report and says that there is pay equity, but employees can't see it. And I think they're becoming increasingly suspicious because every time they try and verify on their own that Apple actually has the pay equity that it claims, they're getting shut down. This survey, uh, Share Scarlet presented it to senior leadership, right? I mean, as you mentioned, they recognize the problems with the survey. Cher and a few members of the data science team 
came together. They said they wanted to present the data to Apple's people team, not to say, look, we caught you. You don't have pay equity, but to say, hey, this is an indicator that we want you to run an external audit. We want a third party audit and we want to be able to actually see the data and have the data science team interpret it for us and let us know if there are any issues. The response this morning from Deirdre O'Brien, I think, indicates that they do not plan to do this. Okay. So that's just an ongoing layer of frustration in the background of a lot of things here. Is there any mechanism by which Apple employees can get the data besides tweeting about it or running their own surveys? Is there a legal enforcement mechanism here at all? So we talked to a bunch of labor lawyers who said that employees obviously have the right to organize and ask each other about pay. I think that the implication is that Apple shutting down all these avenues for them to talk about pay, you know, might be something that could go to court at some point. Apple is kind of walking a fine line because it's saying we're not taking down the survey because we don't want you to talk about pay. We're taking it down for these other reasons. And look, here we have these rules about how you can run surveys and you didn't follow the rules. And similarly, you know, employees recently have tried to start a Slack channel across the company to talk about pay equity. Apple shut it down saying, look, it doesn't meet these Slack rules that we've recently started to enforce. (laughs) So whether or not they would win in court, I don't know. But I think the perspective from labor lawyers we've talked to is that they are getting increasingly close to just stopping worker organizing in a way that could be problematic. That's August 9th. August 20th, Apple basically caves to both employee pressure and the Delta variant and says, we're not opening the office until January. Yeah. And crucially for them, the discussion around this remote work advocacy almost instantly dies down. Employees start worrying about other issues. This will probably come back in January (laughs) if they try and bring people back. But for now, they've essentially thrown the problem down the road and people aren't talking about it so much anymore. Okay. So then on August 23rd, you actually, you published two stories, one of which is the pay equity survey results. We talked about that. The other one is about something that seems like it could be very big over time, the Apple II movement. This is an interesting one. Right now it is small. It started with Cher Scarlett and about 15 employees who decided to put up a website to collect stories from their colleagues about people who faced discrimination and harassment in the workplace. I think all of us think this is an interesting first step towards real organizing. A bunch of people were talking externally about like, oh, is this Apple employees beginning to form a union? Employees aren't talking about that yet, but they are organizing specifically outside the workplace and retail and Apple care employees are coming together with corporate employees and talking about the issues they're having with discrimination, with harassment, with retaliation. And these stories are beginning to be shared on a Medium account associated with Apple too. Has anything come of this yet, or they just started it and launched it? They've released a letter. They've started to release the stories. Has anything come of it? Like, no, it's not a formal movement yet. I think at this point, they really are just trying to start a conversation with each other and begin to publish some of it externally. They're really, really tired of the secrecy, but I don't even think they know internally in the Apple II movement, like what they want to come of it yet. They really want to just get more people together and say, what should this movement be? What should our demands be? And I do think at some point they're going to have a list of demands for Apple corporate and they're going to um, send it to executives. Why do that in public? I think they feel like Apple's culture of secrecy has been very beneficial to Apple, but it hasn't been very beneficial to Apple workers. Like, we're not seeing a massive increase in, like, product leaks right now. Like, there's this understanding internally that the surprise element to Apple's big reveals on products has benefits for the world. Like, they like that element of the culture. What they don't like is being told that they're not allowed to speak internally about problems that they're facing. If they have an issue, they should bring it to their manager. They're like, we've tried that for years. It hasn't worked. And now we want to air this out so that we can get support externally and make it so that Apple can't just ignore this problem anymore. Apple is continuing to ignore this problem, but... It's <laughs> <laughs> not surprising. Put that in context of uh, Google and other companies. And I, I say Google specifically because they do have the Alphabet Workers Union, which is a very different kind of union. It's not... It, it, you can't fight for a contract. It's just a, it, a collection of employees who've come together. But they're very loud. They 
fight for things, they advocate for things. Other tech companies, you know, Facebook employees are leaking left and right all the time to try to pressure the company to change. Apple doesn't do this. So just on the scale of the other companies and how we normally cover them, where does all this stuff kind of rate? It's a good question. I would say that Apple's still not at the level of Google. You know, Google employees have extensive media contacts. They organize in public, like as a general rule, typically. And they found that to be enormously successful. I think the 2018 walkouts are a great example of like strength in numbers. 20,000 employees walked out. They made these demands. They actually got some of their demands met. It was pretty effective. And that, you know, there's a direct line from that to the Google union, the Alphabet Workers Union that we see today. Apple employees, I would say, are not there yet. I mean, I think for one, this is still a relatively small group of people who are either involved in the organizing activities or are leaking information. The vast majority of Apple employees, if I had to guess, I would say are like pretty happy with the status quo. They do not like that the stuff is leaking. They like want to keep things kind of the same. And so I think we have to wait and see if this continues and the movement grows, which it did at Google around 2017, 2018. Or if these employees who are organizing get so frustrated that they leave and things kind of go back to normal. I think that we still have to see how this plays out. My guess is that this isn't going to stop anytime soon, but it's still a small enough group that we just don't know where it's going to lead. Some of that small group talked to you for a piece you published on the 30th of August about the internal privacy of Apple employees, which is some stuff that just to me is like very near and dear to my heart because part of it is just the mechanics of how iOS devices work. But tell me what that story was and and really why employees were so upset. This is another example of Apple kind of setting itself up for getting called out internally because they say that one of their core values is caring about privacy. And what we've heard from employees is that their privacy doesn't matter as much. So two core things, Apple employees cannot use their work email addresses to sign up for an iCloud account. So many of them use their personal email addresses or they use their personal iCloud accounts. And when they start, if they need to collaborate extensively with colleagues, they're offered this iCloud storage upgrade for free, a two terabyte storage upgrade. And if they sign up for it, they're asked specifically to use their personal Apple ID to do so. So what happens is that a bunch of their personal documents kind of become intermingled with their work devices. Obviously, when they leave the company, they can sign out of iCloud. But what happens because people stay at Apple for like six to 10 years is that they don't have confidence that all of their personal files will be removed. And they're specifically told you cannot wipe your computer when you leave. So essentially, they're having to hand over this device, this phone, this computer, that they're nervous might have a bunch of personal documents on it. Apple also has, you know, a pretty robust program of dog fooding program. They ask employees to test out new software, new products um, before they launch. And on some teams, it's pretty difficult to use a work phone and a personal phone because you're asked to be filing bugs just absolutely constantly to be improving the software before it becomes consumer ready. And so people just use a single device. Again, obviously, your personal messages are going to be on that device. Oftentimes, your photos will be. We still have teams that are communicating through iMessage. And so there's just this intense intermingling of personal and work data that makes some people uncomfortable. One thing that's just like hilarious to me about this particular aspect of the story is that Dieter Bone and I review Apple products like, you know, five times a year. And every time we review an iPad in particular, Dieter will write, it is ridiculous that this device does not support multiple iCloud accounts. And we, we see it because people want to share iPads. And it's so funny that Apple has this problem with its employees because of the way iOS works. And it's so deeply connected to how it should work. And they haven't solved it because it would solve the problem for their employees. The flip side of this to me is Google, again, just to compare, supports all kinds of accounts, but multiple account management with Google services is horrible. And every Google employee will tell you that they have this problem where they have a work Gmail account and a personal Gmail account and switching back and forth is clunky. So it doesn't seem like there's a great solution, but it seems like Apple has definitely picked the worst one. (laughs) Yeah, I would say so. I would say that this the 
This makes employees pretty uncomfortable. At Google, I think it's more of a convenience thing. Like, it is annoying to be switching back and forth between all of these accounts. At Apple, it's like, I'm extremely nervous that my messages with my loved ones, my friends, are on a device that I also use to message my boss. And I don't really have a good way to separate those things. And when I file a bug report, they can see everything. Right. So yeah, they ask employees to include these cis-diagnosis files. Some of those files can expose your personal messages if you're filing a bug about iMessage. And employees will leave and go on to other companies that immediately offer them a corporate managed iCloud account. So I think that process is kind of a slap in the face to people like, oh, this is kind of a, a lazy choice we've made to not make a better corporate iCloud product internally, because clearly other companies are doing it, even if their method isn't perfect. It's only been a couple days, but has anything come of the privacy story? It upset a lot of people. I heard from many employees who did not agree with the privacy concerns. You know, a lot of people said, and I think this was actually a really interesting take that I heard from a bunch of people internally, that most of the things that employees are asked to do that erodes their privacy are things they consent to. They sign the employment agreement. They sign a disclosure that says they're going to be, you know, testing out new products they ask to get the storage upgrade. So I think there are a fair amount of people who say like, look, we knew what we were getting into. It's not a huge deal. But crucially, there's a ton of people who say like, you don't really have a choice when your boss is helping you set up your laptop and says, hey, just use your Apple ID and it's written in the rules. You could say, okay, I'm going to go you know, buy a new phone right now or create an entirely new Apple ID. But most people don't because it's just not the norm there. Yeah, I think I think about this all the time, especially in the sort of the work from home era, your work computer is not safe, right? It belongs to your employer. And when everyone's at home, you often forget that like using that computer means you're at work and your employer has a lot of access to you. Yeah. But when you work for a company like Apple and you're asked to intermingle everything, the pressure to do that and not take stock of the fact that you've turned your personal device into a work device must seem very high. Yeah, it's high. It's not to say no one does it, but people who do it say the technical hurdles are immense. They have to really work to keep everything separate. So the vast majority of people just say, I don't care. It's fine. Let everything intermingle. And it's not until they leave and they get this checklist from their manager that says, return your laptop, do not wipe it in all caps, that they're like, oh, maybe this is an issue. Yeah. That's August 30th. August 31st, you published a story about the pay equity Slack channels getting shut down. What did Apple communicate about that? Obviously, there's these Slack rules, but there's also this underlying concern that pay equity is not as uh, equal as Apple has said that it is. So employees have the survey data. They're still concerned. They had the meeting with the people team. You know, they didn't feel like they were going to get what they wanted from that. So they try and start this cross-company Slack channel to discuss pay equity. Apple denies them. They say, so you can't actually start this channel because it's not related to Apple business and it's not related to an Apple employee club or diversity group. They specifically said, like, Slack channels are provided to conduct Apple business and must advance the work deliverables or mission of Apple departments and teams. So employees are pretty upset about this, as you can imagine. They also feel like, pay equity does advance the mission of our teams. Like, this is an important thing. And we have all of these channels, fun cats, fun dogs, remote work advocacy, dad jokes that have been allowed to stay and thrive with literally thousands of employees in them. And you're not doing anything about them. You know, Apple says, oh, well, those were already created. These rules only applied to channels that you're creating as of now. But I think to employees, this is pretty overt anti-organizing. You said Apple says. They're saying to employees. They're not commenting on any of this stuff publicly, right? They do not comment about these stories. Everything that we're hearing, we're hearing directly from employees. They're emailing employees. They're sending out videos like the one that I mentioned this morning from DJ O'Brien. But there hasn't been a public statement about any of this. So that's the timeline. And and. <laughs> that's a lot to happen in August. It's a lot of stories for you in particular in August. We got to take a break, but when we come back, I really want to talk to you about the bigger picture and what this all means for a company like Apple. We'll be right back. 
Support for Decoder comes from Mint Mobile. Imagine you're at a very fancy, expensive restaurant. And as you're browsing the menu, wondering how you'll afford anything on it, you notice the filet mignon is a mere $10. At first you think jackpot, but then you immediately think, wait, what's the catch? Now what do suspiciously cheap steaks have to do with your cell phone bill? Well, we're used to seeing quote-unquote great deals from overpriced wireless providers and also thinking, what's the catch? But with Mint Mobile, there is no catch. For a limited time, their wireless plans are just $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. You can get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month. Go to mintmobile.com slash decoder. That's mintmobile.com slash decoder. Decoder. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash decoder. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on an unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline, because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We're back with Zoe Schiffer. So we've talked a lot about Apple's very busy August with its employees. We talked about why Slack is part of that. We talked about working from home and maybe returning to office has led to a lot of this. One thing that I haven't really seen is the culture at Apple really changing or importantly, people leaving. You mentioned it just before the break. People could just quit. But they don't seem interested in quitting. They seem interested in staying and having the company change. That's very new. That's a very 2021 that you demand that your company change around you instead of just bailing out. What, what is the dynamic there? So this, to me, is really related to a larger change we are seeing in the tech industry that kind of seems to be like a change towards more worker power. I really date this back to 2020, I believe. It was June of 2020 when... Ifoma and Erica, two prominent Black employees at Pinterest who'd already left the company, started speaking out really publicly about racism. And they specifically said that the company's statements about Black Lives Matter were hypocritical because they had been treated very, very poorly at the company. And this set off kind of a wave of employee organizing where people were specifically calling out their tech companies for hypocrisy. They were saying the public statements you're making in support of George Floyd our BS, because we were treated very poorly, we were underpaid. And we're seeing this take place at Apple too, where employees care enough about Apple that they want to stay and fight for the company. I mean, it helps that Apple's kind of unique in the tech industry in terms of if you care about hardware, if you care about design, it's kind of the pinnacle. There aren't that many other places you could go. But also they feel like this might not be a big deal at Google or another company. But because you've talked about privacy, we really want you to make that true for us internally as well. Because you've talked about pay equity, we really want to make sure that we achieve pay equity. And we want to be in more of a conversation with executives. We don't want it to be so top down anymore. So I think employees are pretty invested in seeing the culture change, but they're not sure if Apple can actually make that shift from the top down hierarchical structure that it's always had. Besides making it a better place to work, which is a good reason. But a lot of these employees are paid in stock. They all have RSUs, restricted stock units. Apple makes a lot of money every quarter. Apple's business is the business it is because it has been top down for so long. Is there a connection that people have between, hey, if we change the, the fundamental organizing principle of this company, we might be less effective at being a great business? The people that I've spoke to just aren't worried about that. And luckily, they've got like almost two years now of proving that that's not the case. Apple still had record numbers in the years that it's been remote because of the pandemic. And so I think employees are saying, look, we've been really successful. Let's try it out for a little longer. 
you know, we don't see like the hardware orgs talking about this as much. They know they've already had to be back in the office. Like they're not fighting for remote work. I think it's the people who are like software engineers who truly could work from anywhere who are like, why am I being asked to come in when my peers at every other tech company are essentially going to be able to work remotely for the rest of their lives if they want to. But that's remote work. I'm talking about the top-down decision-making, the secrecy. When you publish stories, a lot of what I hear is, don't mess with Apple. It's great. It's making, it makes great products, and it is you know the most valuable company in the world. Is there a connection between, well, if executives start listening to employees and this place gets a little flatter and a little more bottom-up, it might impact the products and the business success in that way? I mean, you're asking me, I'm a labor reporter. I'm talking to people (laughs) who are making the product. So do the people I talk to think that? Like, absolutely not. Apple always says internally, our soul is our people. Our people are our soul. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what people believe. We are what make Apple great. The employees are what make Apple great. And so we can continue doing that if we are more collaborative. Like, I think they feel like the internal structures have been a little broken for a long time and Apple has succeeded despite those broken processes, not because of them. And what they want is more collaboration, more communication, more transparency. You know, what's really interesting is this is so deeply tied to work from home. And I think every company that went to work from home learned this in different ways, ours included, is that when everyone is remote, you stress test your structure and your process in your communication in a way that an office does not require you to stress test that stuff. And it, this, it really feels like, Oh, it was bad before, but we were all in the office. Now we're all distributed. We want to stay distributed and it's not good enough to support that. And it's all kind of happening at once. Yeah, absolutely. And people were very siloed before. If they had a problem, oftentimes they would think, Oh, this is a problem that I need to resolve with my manager. Like this is a personal problem. Now they can talk to thousands of other people who've had similar problems and all of a sudden they can all come together and write a letter and advocate for change. So we've seen an enormous shift just in the collaboration and organizing that can happen because everyone is remote and because Slack now exists. I've also heard a lot about how Apple has a younger workforce and there's a lot to unpack with cultural and generational attitudes towards the younger workforce. But one thing that's true is that there are not a lot of young senior managers at Apple. This is a company that famously retains executive for years and years and years. You don't have a lot of people who are, for lack of a better term, like Slack native management at Apple who've come up with it, who understand its dynamics. Uh, Just for comparison, Samsung, which is a huge competitor at Apple, they rotate their executives every couple of years. Like you were running the processor division at Samsung, they, they will just, your two years are up, you're on to moving cameras, and they're always trying to build executives up in their ranks in that way. Sony does the same thing. Other companies turn their CEOs over all the time. Car companies famously always seem to have new CEOs. Apple has a pretty solid set of senior executives, and they have a pretty solid set of deputies. Does that come up? Do the employees recognize that they're kind of fighting a generational tide that isn't going to turn? Absolutely. And this, I think, has been going on for years. This actually has product implications where, you know, in like the gaming division, I think the thought is we're a little old school and things could be better, but the people running this division are not like gamers themselves. And so we're fighting (laughs) kind of an uphill battle. Gamers rise up. Yeah, exactly. I think that this is a real thing. I think there's this feeling internally now that the executives are a little out of touch. The executives are saying, oh, come back to the office. And employees are like, Well, yeah, because you live five minutes from the office in this absolute mansion and you've had this commute for 20 years and you love it. Like, we're not in the same boat. We live an hour and a half outside of Cupertino. Like, we're not trying to go back to that life. They feel like executives want things to go back to the way things always were. And the world has changed and Apple can't go back. You said Apple holds itself to a really high standard. We've seen some activism in other companies But we haven't seen stuff like this from a Facebook or an Amazon. Do you think it would be different if it was happening at those companies? Yes. 
Absolutely. And probably different at Amazon versus at Facebook. I think we've seen companies like Google who will fire some people and make concessions to others. We've seen companies like Amazon who will try and just like stamp it out completely in kind of ruthless ways. I think Apple is kind of taking an Apple approach to this. They're like waiting to see if it dies down. They're being very measured in their responses. And along the way, they're trying to say, Eh, we don't really want you to start a Slack channel and like start talking about this even more publicly. Eh, we don't really like want you shouting about this on Twitter. So I think in minor ways, they're trying to like tamp it down, but they're waiting to see how big of a deal this becomes. Do you think they'll just sl- shut down Slack? I've heard a lot of people say they should just <laughs> shut down Slack. It's an interesting question. I feel like they can't now, but I'm not sure. I think at this point, employees would find another way to organize. So I don't actually know if that would solve all of their problems. The Apple II movement has already been organizing on a Discord channel that existed already, but now has added thousands more people. So yeah, it's an interesting thought thought experiment. I think that it would be, you know, national news overnight and employees would flip out. So would that solve Apple's problems? Not sure. Well, you know, the interesting dynamic here is you start the company Slack and you say it's only for work, but people find each other and then they can just go somewhere else and you could shut down Slack, but you can't shut down some employee's Discord server. And so the damage has been done. Shutting down Slack doesn't accomplish anything at this point. Exactly. Yeah. I think the issue that they have is that they can't go back. Like previously, people were siloed. And so they didn't know who else was having similar problems to them or who else had similar things they wanted to advocate for. Now, those employees have largely like met each other. At least they've identified kind of the loud, outspoken people who know a ton of people and are kind of the key organizers at the company. I don't think they can go back to a world in which employees have no idea who to turn to if they need to talk about a problem they're having and they want to see if anyone else has had the same issue. I heard a funny anecdote recently about, you know, when Slack was rolled out, someone created a bot to try and pair randomly employees up to like do uh, either in-person or virtual lunch and executives kind of started making jokes like, oh, we really don't want that. Like it would be (laughs) not great if y'all started just like talking about work stuff. Like as long as we keep this really work related, like that's fine. Um, But this really shows like, yeah, Apple's just kind of deep discomfort with the idea that random employees are just going to meet and start talking about who knows what. It's so funny because their architecture is theoretically designed to make you do that. Like that's why it's a circle, the spaceship, is like the last great Steve Jobs building. He also designed the, the Pixar building and he had talked endlessly about how all those buildings were designed to make people mingle and talk to each other and collaborate. And then as soon as it becomes digital, you're like, wait, actually too much. Yeah. I mean, they just had more control when the collaboration and conversation was happening in the office. I think the big fear now is that they don't know what those conversations are going to look like (laughs) or what they're going to collaborate on. Like collaborating on the next iPhone, love it. Fantastic. Collaborating on the next employee advocacy letter, like deeply uncomfortable. Executives (laughs) do not want that. Is there an element where you just let go? I Just let them have the pay equity room. I have to imagine that some executives are like, why are we making this a bigger and bigger issue by trying to stop it? Because if you let employees do a couple surveys and they find that as Apple claims that there's pay equity, I don't think this would be an enormous issue. But I think that Apple's always operated in this top-down way. And there is this tendency to say like, no, we make the rules and you as an employee have to listen to them. Is this the thing where just like time kind of fixes it like apple has to keep hiring people with experience they have to keep hiring engineers they have to expand into new businesses to do that they have to hire people from other companies other companies are getting there a lot faster than apple at some point you're just going to hire a huge set of people who have lots of experience working in slack who have lots of experience with digital collaboration who do not have a lot of experience in these very top-down companies because most new companies are not nearly as top down as Apple. Like, does that just come to a head? Have, do, you, do you get a sense that people who have been at Apple for a long time feel differently than people who are new? I think previously when people would come into Apple, they would know they were signing on to the Apple way of doing things. What I think we've seen now is this opening where even internally at Apple, there's this alternate path. Like possibly we could change the way that we've always done things and it could actually make things better for employees. 
I don't think everyone who worked at Apple like wanted to go into the office every single day and work extremely long hours and get paid a little bit less than their peers at Facebook. Like, I think they did those things because it was what you had to do to work there. And now there's this possibility that you could both work at Apple and have the working conditions be a little bit better. So do I think like if they get a bunch of new executives who are a little bit friendlier in terms of worker organizing, who know how to handle Slack a little better, this will go away? No, I think that we're at a point now where people feel like they could maybe have the best of both worlds and they want to at least try and make that happen. You said pay a little bit less than Facebook. Does Apple pay less than its peers? Okay, I feel like I'm going to get myself into trouble with this one. There is a feeling internally that Apple... (laughs) doesn't have to pay as well in terms of base or stock as some of its peers because it's Apple. People work there because they want to work at Apple, not because it's going to be the highest salary in Silicon Valley. This is not, I mean, we're talking about pretty high salaries here. So like, it's not to say that we need to feel like deeply sorry for a corporate Apple employee, but I don't think people work there for the pay typically. And that line in the resume is golden when you leave, right? Yeah. When you leave after 15 years. (laughs) Fair enough. We need to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll have more with Zoe Schiffer. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. And we're back. Most of the stories you've done have been in the engineering group. They've been with Apple's corporate employees. Apple is somewhat unique among big tech companies, uh, perhaps only Amazon excluded, that they have a gigantic number of retail employees, like everyday people in their stores, frontline retail workers. Are they feeling it too? Are they curious about how the stores work about, I mean, retail employees are never happy. Like it's just in the culture. Retail employees are often have the toughest jobs. Are they beginning to organize and, and, and talk as well? So interestingly, the organizing that we had seen prior to the past few months had almost all taken place in retail. Employees had already tried to unionize. There had already been a big lawsuit about bag searches that Apple was conducting with retail employees. Like, They have had, I think, more acute issues that they've been organizing around for years. Has any of it resulted in big changes? Like, no. But I think retail employees have been doing this for a lot longer. Interestingly, they were on the corporate Slack in spring. And then for reasons that we're not totally clear on, um, that kind of was rolled back in certain ways. So retail employees... (laughs) can only have access to the Slack when they're on the Apple VPN, when they're on an Apple you know, computer in the retail store. So it's not like they had access in the sense that corporate employees do, but they, they did have a little insight into um, the corporate organizing that was happening, and they no longer do at this point, at least on Apple corporate tools. Before, when you were an Apple retail employee, you could like get on Slack and be like, 
I'm going to send a message to Tim Cook. And that was a thing you could do. <laughs> I don't actually know. This is a great question. Is Tim Cook in Slack? Not sure. Would love to know. <laughs> so his email is on, on the website. Um, well, I'm just curious. I mean, that flattening of an org chart is like a big piece of the Slack puzzle here. And it seems like that split between, I think you mentioned that the three groups, that the corporate employees, the Apple Care employees, and the retail employees, if the organization gets flatter, the discrepancies in how they are treated and compensated will be highlighted, and in some cases exacerbated, because I doubt the corporate employees are like, oh, we'll take less stock in our comp. Those are very difficult conversations that happen as an organization gets more transparent and flatter, but it doesn't seem to be happening yet. Not yet, but I don't think it's to say that it won't happen. One thing that we've noticed with Apple, too, is that the vast majority of the stories that have come out of that movement have been from Apple retail employees and Apple care employees. So we're seeing corporate employees create a group, ask for stories, and then share the stories of essentially hourly workers. I think that Google is a really interesting model to look at here. You know, the solidarity union that they created specifically was not going to be a union that went before the NLRB and tried to get, you know, a vote and buy for a contract because they wanted contractors to be part of the same union as full-time corporate staff. You have to explain what a solidarity union is and what the NLRB is. A solidarity union is what we think of when we think of workers coming together to advocate for change. So pre um, the National Labor Relations Act, this is how all unions looked. It was just a few people coming together asking for change, maybe a few more joined them. And that is, by definition, a union. What we've seen since the NLRA is that unions could go before the National Labor Relations Board and hold an election. And if they won, if the majority of employees wanted to unionize, they could then force the corporate company to come to the table and negotiate a contract for employees. This negotiation process could take years. It didn't always, it wasn't always seamless, but um, it was a way to essentially force the company to engage with the union. A solidarity union doesn't have that same mechanism. They're essentially just a union in name. Like employees have come together, there's worker power there, but the company can essentially ignore them. And at Google, we've seen mixed results. You know, they've made concessions. A contractor was put on leave for a while and the union advocated for this contractor and they were reinstated. But they haven't advocated for like large scale policy change in the same way as, you know, a NLRB certified union could. I feel like I overdisclose everything on this show, so I feel like I just have to disclose this. Vox <laughs> Media is a unionized company. There's three unions in our company. Zoe's in the union that represents Verge reporters in management. I feel like we have to fight now. Like that's just saying that out loud means like we're in conflict, but we're, we have some familiarity with it because we work at a unionized company. That said, our union looks nothing like the alphabet workers union or a union that would start a tech company. But the alphabet workers union is in terms of the big tech companies is kind of the first one to exist. It had to take this other form. And then kind of the other thing that we've seen at the, at the big, big tech companies is what is happening in the Amazon warehouses. But there hasn't been a, overall like NLRB formal union structure at any of the big tech companies? There are some smaller ones, right? There are at smaller tech companies. Um, I believe Google workers in Pittsburgh, they've been trying to unionize for years before the um, Alphabet Workers Union. But the Alphabet Workers Union is the first time like corporate employees have tried to unionize and definitely the first time that corporate employees along with contractors have tried to unionize. So it's pretty unprecedented among the big tech companies. Do you think there's any sense that people at Apple want either the the alphabet-style solidarity union or even the more formal union? We've seen very, very, very early discussions in this area, and they definitely are not at the point where they're discussing what type of union they would want. We've seen internally, um, although I hope to wait to write about this in case it coalesces <laughs> into anything. But no, we've seen, I mean, people have been discussing, like, what would it look like to unionize? Should we, you know, reach out to one of the big national unions? But these talks are so early stage that I think it's really difficult to say whether they'll go anywhere. It's September now. This is sort of event season for Apple. This is when we expect an iPhone. This is when we expect all kinds of other stuff. We do Apple rumors on the other show, but we expect a lot of things in September. Do you think all this stuff is going to come to a halt as Apple's busy season, its, its launches start to happen? 
Joey's shaking her head at me. It was a very aggressive handshake. (laughs) No, I think that employees are going to use some of the attention that Apple gets around the events to be a little bit louder, actually, about the problems that they're seeing. I think that people are really committed to the events. It's not like they're going to stop working, but I think they're also extremely committed to the organizing that they've been doing for months. And they're pretty annoyed that Apple hasn't made the changes that they've been requesting. So no, I don't, I don't think this is going to go away. I don't want to give too much away, but what's the next turn? What's the next thing you're working on? I'm going to try and say this without giving away too much. A lot of the reporting that I've been doing has focused on the hardware group, software engineering. There are entire departments at Apple that we haven't really heard from yet. And I guess the little sneak preview I can give you is that I think that we're going to start hearing from some of those other departments soon. All right, Zoe, you've been doing amazing work the whole time you've been at The Verge, but in particular with Apple. It's great to have you on. We look forward to your next story. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks again to Zoe for taking the time to be on Decoder today. That's funny because she works at The Verge. It's basically her show too. But thank you, Zoe. Thank you for listening. I really hope you enjoyed it. As always, I'd love to hear what you think of the show. You can email us at decoder at theverge.com or hit me up directly. I'm at Reckless on Twitter. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you really like the show, leave us a five-star review. Decoder is a production of The Verge and part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today's episode was produced by Creighton D. Simone, Alexander Charles Adams, and Andrew Marino. We are edited by Callie Wright. Our music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. We'll see you next time. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.